and it was like, no, that doesn't actually work that way. You know, it's like without without us, you have no company. <laughs> so I I think if I had had uh, you know more humility in those days, I I would have been more careful. Dates June twenty fifteen, episode one hundred seventeen. This is part two of my Q and A with Obi Fernandez. Obi is a well-known author, founder of Hashrocket and CTO at Andela, which works on training 100,000 developers in Africa. This episode is sponsored by the lovely people at Mina Temple. How do you deal with imposter syndrome? Ooh, imposter syndrome is one of my favorite topics because, uh, first of all, I, you know, in my role, I'm, I'm helping junior developers who aspire to be world-class in every way possible. And what I try to introduce them to is the fact that everyone goes through bouts of imposter syndrome from time to time and that it starts off pretty serious and then, you know, you learn, you learn how to manage it over time. In, in my case, you know, I'm, I'm working with a stellar team, but the challenge of what we're trying to do is enormous, right? So as, as we talked about in the last episode, you know, we're, we're trying to train 100,000 Africans over the next 10 years. Th this is substantially larger than anything I've done before. <laughs> You know, I think that it would be borderline sociopathic if I didn't have some amount of of doubts about you know what it's going to take for me personally in terms of what I the ways that I have to grow and you know what I need to do. You have to understand that those doubts are healthy because they they provoke introspection that helps you grow. Uh, if if you're in a growth scenario and you don't have some measure of imposter syndrome and some measure of, of self doubt. You charge ahead with the knowledge that you have and the, the ways that you do. So like, like speaking of, for instance, Hashrocket, my final year at Hashrocket, I would say that I was, you know, kind of like at peak arrogance <laughs> and very, very confident in my skills and what I was doing and the way, the avenues that I had considered for growth and the ideas that I had. And I don't think that the ideas were bad, but the fact that I didn't have any doubts meant that I was, I was blindsided by aspects of the way that the implementation was affecting the people around me. Uh, like I wanted to substantially grow Hashrocket, for instance. We, we had expanded from Florida to, to Chicago. So we were operating in two locations. And we also had relationships with a smattering of independent shops. And by shops, I mean just like two, you know, two or four people uh, around the world that were consistent contractors for us. And we were feeding them business. And I said, you know, we, we really should turn Hashrocket into a franchise. So we can we can spin the, our existing locations off as separate entities, and we can take these other players that want to operate under the Hashrocket brand and have us take care of the administrative uh, aspects, like you know, sales and paperwork and legalities and things like that, accounting, and just have them focus on delivery. And in this way, we have shared risk and shared upside uh, with a lot more players, you know, more more than what we had. And I, without delving too much into details of that, because it's irrelevant, the, the point I'm trying to make is that during those days, I didn't have any imposter syndrome at all. Like to me, we were going to take over the world and I knew exactly how we were doing and going to do it. And it was all going to come together. And I just charged ahead with it. And the reason it didn't work is that the people around me, uh, you know, had a lot of serious doubts about what it would do to them. And employees generally don't want to take on any additional risk, uh, you know, especially after the, the business is established, you know, I was accused of violating the social contract. I was like, what social contract? It's my company. You guys work for me. You follow my direction. There's no. And it was like, no, that doesn't actually work that way. You know, it's like without, without us, you have no company. <laughs> so I, I think if I had had, uh, 
you know, more humility in those days, I, I would have been more careful. James Edward Gray offered access to a screencast about the less code movement and how to actively read code. You can win this giveaway by leaving feedback for this podcast on iTunes. Good or bad, any feedback is super welcome. Then tweet me the username from your rating and the prize is possibly yours. I promise to randomly select a winner without any significant bias. Hurry, this goodie will not be up forever. For years, Mintetempo Script Service has been the web hosting choice of more designers, developers and creative professionals than any other platform. A single grid account can host anything from your portfolio site to 100 different client projects. And a grid is ready for anything. Hundreds of servers work together in the cloud to keep your sites online, even if you suddenly hit the front page of Reddit. Also check out their new WordPress hosting product, as well as their launching of Google Apps for Work. Virtual private server solutions are also available with their DV and DV developer hosting plans. You can use the promo code SCREEN25 for 25% off web hosting. Go to mediatemple.net and enter your promo code upon sign up. Thanks for listening. Do you think there's a correlation between having a very strong vision of something and like imposter syndrome so that you are not having so much self-doubt if you have a clear vision that you want to follow through? So it, it, I think it depends, you know, like if they're, if you're trying to do something that's been done before and that might just be building a solid career and, and programming, you know, there, there's plenty of material out there and there's steps and people talking about how to do that. So I, I don't think you have to have as much imposter syndrome because you can see the success stories and see that if you follow the steps, you know, kind of the proven path, then it, it's okay. You know, you'll, you'll get there eventually. I think for, for things that where you're innovating or, you know, pushing social boundaries or, or such, uh, then it's not going to help as much because you're, you're treading new ground, you're taking risks, and there's, there's a greater likelihood that you could, you could be wrong, you could fail. Like you might actually be an imposter <laughs> because it, it might not be possible, right? Like even what we're trying to do in Africa, you know, I would be surprised if, most of our people didn't have, you know, some degree of imposter syndrome because there generally aren't too many engineers that are coming out of Africa, you know. And the good ones generally, like, go to schools outside of Africa and then they stay outside of Africa. I can, ima I can try to put myself in the shoes of some of our participants and say, okay, this is tough. Um, but, you know, at the same time, that's where that, that risk component that comes with having such growth challenges is actually what drives huge rewards, right? And speaking of relative rewards for our young people in Africa, I mean, the risk that they're taking is, is actually, you know, potentially going to be completely life-altering for them. Uh, you know, and in, in that regard, I, I would think that it makes it easier to push through your doubts. Do you have any tips against procrastination? I try to to adhere to a getting things done regimen. So I, you know, I anything that I can't get done in the next couple of minutes, I I'll write down. And I start, I got into get, getting things done back in 2009, so I have about five or six years of, of practice to, to varying degrees. For a long time, I used Things, uh, which is Mac software for for iOS and and Mac OS, and that served me well for a long time. And, and nowadays, I keep a Trello board that I've customized to my own you know w way of wanting to do getting things done. And the main reason for that is because I lead a team and I have an assistant, so it's just easier to collaborate with a Trello board than it is with things. And as far as procrastination, I mean the, <laughs> the depending on how senior you are, I mean. The, the things that we procrastinate on most are the things that we don't like to do or that we're not good at doing. 
so if you if you're able to to manage a way to delegate those things to others, it is an easy way to not procrastinate on them. You know, like uh, and so I, I've advised a lot of friends uh, and acquaintances and and you know to consider getting virtual assistants. I want to do that in the U.S. Uh, I think you can get a fairly good uh, virtual assistant, meaning that they're remote for about twelve to fifteen dollars an hour. Now it might take a few tries to, to actually get someone that you're comfortable with and that that you know fits your your particular style. So don't assume that you're just going to get someone that cheap on the first try. Uh, you know, it might take two or three, uh, and I would I would definitely look for references and recommendations um, before you know going with that. And you know, it's kind of hire fast, fire fast sort of thing. Look for look for people that are not relying you on you to tell you exactly what to do, which is that's the hardest part at the lower uh, pay scale. You know, at the lower pay scale, you're generally having to tell people exactly what to do. the The key thing is that you don't want to have to tell an assistant something more than once, and you're not. In, they should be a black box. Like you shouldn't be interested in their system for for keeping it. Uh, that that's what I think. Feel free to disagree, but like that's what's worked for me is like basically find someone trustworthy, find someone that you don't have to tell something more than once and like they have a system so that you don't have to worry about how they're doing it or optimize it for them. And that's really hard as a software guy, right? Because generally speaking, I'm very interested in people's systems. <laughs> and uh, I remember when I was first searching for an assistant at HashRocket, I was I had a lot of bullet points in the, in the description and I had a, a lot of interest in them being savvy with technology and, you know, what tools we were going to use together and stuff like that. And over time and, and over the course of having three different assistants, I learned, yeah, forget it. Just get someone that has enough experience and maturity to understand that. The important thing is that you don't need to tell them how to run their day. They just need to understand what you need and figure things out and be proactive as opposed to reactive. And that when they are reactive because something happened and you tell them, okay, do start doing this or stop doing this, that you don't have to tell them again, ever. And those people are out there. I mean, that is, that is the key skills. You know, like the, the first young woman I hired, you know, had been a bank teller and she was working for a very small amount of money. I can't remember how much, but, you know, it was probably like 10 or 12 bucks an hour. Had not been an assistant before and I had to fire her like a month later. And she was upset and she was like, you know, the next time you hire someone for this, you need to tell them exactly what they need to do. And I was like, oh, God, no. The, pro- the problem is I need someone that I don't have to tell what to do. You know, they have to just figure it out. 